Hi, this is Austin from Amusement Insider, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, it's Corey, the host and producer of Theme Park Pulse, the game, the game show for theme park fans, and you're tuned in to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, kids, this is Ian from Theme Park Stop. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Enjoy. Be nice to date. He's awesome. Hi, this is Jeff Joyner. You might know me as Coaster Dad or Logan's Dad from Coaster Kids. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, I'm Brad Rex, the former vice president for Disney's Epcot Theme Park, and you're listening to the Coaster Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi there, I'm Lee Cockrell. I'm the former Executive Vice President of Walt Disney World, and Mickey Mouse was my boss. And you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Epcot, the magnificent dream realized. But, but maybe you're asking yourselves, well, what's an Epcot? Well, that's a good question. Is it just another amusement park? Mm-hmm. Number one, Epcot is the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And number two, Epcot isn't just an anything. Oh, no. It isn't just a resort. It isn't just a world's fair. Not just a cavalcade of wizardry, technology, and flair. Not just Epicurean displays by international gourmets where one can dine, lunch, munch, crunch for days and days and days. Not just a festival of music, dance, the arts, or education, nor a pageant for the senses sparked by wild imagination. Not just communication, nor the bounty of the land. Not just the world of motion, nor the ocean or the sand. It's not just transportation, nor light or sight or sound. Not just satellites in space, nor the fossils underground. Where Epcot is concerned, there ain't no just about it. Epcot isn't just an anything, it's everything and more. A great deal more than anything the world has seen before. The perfect planned community, the splendorific sprawl. And Epcot Center is the heart of it all. I accept the Coaster Challenge. 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 Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? What is the Coaster Challenge? A group of regular people that went from fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses. It's time to take the Coaster Challenge. Here are your hosts, David Cantu and Jenna Gazelle. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is David Cantu with the Coaster Challenge Podcast, and it is Friday, March 18th, and we are down to our final two episodes of Season 1. Boy, do we have a very special treat for all of you guys out there today. We are going to end this season with a bang, because we've got two very special guests this week and next week that I think is going to be really awesome to what a way to kick off an incredible first season and to end it so we've got two very special executives in the theme park industry here on the show this week and next week this week we've got a very very special guest we've got the former vice president of epcot we've got the one and only brad rex right here in the house today with Andrew and Iva. And it's a really honor because this is the first time we've had Disney executive on our podcast. We've had executives from Cedar Fair uh, this this season, and I'm hoped we have more uh, executives uh, in the upcoming seasons ahead of us. This is a very special occasion because Brad Rex has got one heck of a career. Uh, not just with the Disney company, but just being in the military and just running Hilton Group. And just he just has run so many great organizations. He has just been a incredible leader. And there's also a very special, unique story with Brad. Because when Brad took over as vice president of Epcot, it was right before September 11th, 2001. Right before the terrorist attacks. And there's an incredible story about that up ahead. But for those that don't know who Brad Rex is, well, you know, Brad Rex is... 
an incredible leader down in Florida. He's ran one of the one of the greatest parks in, in the country, and especially when it comes to Disney. Well, you know, Brad has actually got some uh, incredible stories, and uh, before we get to that interview, we're going to share with you some highlight clips of what Brad Rex is and on his leadership goals, and uh, so take a listen. I've had a number of different and interesting roles in my life. Nuclear submarine officer, strategic planner for multinational companies, oil trader during the Gulf War, husband and father of teenagers. In preparation for my current leadership role, I spent over 400 hours training as a cast member, preparing food, selling merchandise, sweeping the park. I learned how to serve others before I became qualified to lead others. Great service is vital to a world-class organization, but it's just as important at my church. I've learned to use my business skills to help my church. I serve on the strategic planning team. I'm an elder and a church planner. Equally important, I apply the lessons I learn at church in my business life. As a follower of Christ, I'm called to serve others, to develop my God-given talents, and then to use them, not just at work, but in my church, community, and home, to lead through service wherever I am. Very, wow, very incredible, guys. I mean, Brad has got one heck of his leadership skills and qualities. It's just, it's amazing that the one thing I think what makes it unique about Brad is that he went, before he even took the role, he actually went out there and did all the regular jobs that a Disney cast member would do and get an understanding of what it's like to be working throughout the entire park from every angle, from being a cook, to being a janitor, to being a merchandise sales, ticket sales, security, you name it. He's gone all the way around with that, and he's probably going to be sharing a lot more later up with Andrew and Iva. Right now, what makes it so special is that Brad is also now, now he's not with Disney anymore, but he also is head, heads another great company that aligns very special with our mission here on the Coaster Challenge podcast, is that he also now is part of the group called the eHome Counseling Group. And basically, it is a new way of a virtual counseling of helping people with their anxieties and their depressions, couples therapy, you name it. Anybody who needs help, eHome Counseling has made it much easier to be able to get the help that you need out there. Now, what is eHome Counseling? Well, we've got here a little bit little clip here about what it's all about so take a listen happiness or then you think hey we know sometimes life is hard e-home counseling makes it easy for you to access life-changing counseling anywhere you are delivering the highest quality of mental health counseling online that's what we do it's convenient confidential and effective so what makes e-home counseling unique You'll get true, face-to-face virtual counseling with a highly qualified, licensed mental health counselor. We provide private, accessible, anywhere counseling to support mental wellness and long-term success. All you'll need is a computer, tablet, or smartphone. There's no need to interrupt your daily routine. You meet with a counselor in your home, office, or wherever you are most comfortable. We meet you where you are. With no travel or transportation time or costs, we provide a convenient option for professionals, students, and anyone ready to take back charge of their life. No boundaries, no constraints, no hassles. We use only the best, master's level, fully licensed counselors. And we have deep expertise in treating the broad spectrum of mental health care, including depression, anxiety, relationship issues, PTSD, trauma and addictions, to name just a few. Mental fitness is our number one priority. Scheduling is always easy and can be done by email, phone, or online. You never have to worry about privacy and security. Our systems are 100% HIPAA compliant, meeting the highest standards of personal health information security. And eHome Counseling is the only program that measures client progress and success. State-of-the-art assessments provide a quantitative evaluation of counseling progress at the beginning, middle, and end of treatment. You'll know where you stand and be able to track progress towards getting better. Discover the freedom of virtual counseling. Change is possible. Speak with our team today. With eHome Counseling, the best is yet to come. 
Hello, Coaster Challenge listeners. This is Iva. And Andrew. The co-producers of the podcast. Our guest today has led a very interesting life. From a nuclear engineering officer aboard a submarine during the Cold War to graduating Harvard, he faced a rigorous challenge of taking over the responsibility of Epcot the day before the gravest terrorist attack in human history. Please welcome to the podcast a true leader and counselor, Mr. Brad Rex. Well, thank you, Iva. Thank you, Andrew. It's so wonderful to be with you today. We're glad to have you. Thanks so much. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today, Brad. So Brad, to start with, uh, why don't we just uh, have you introduce yourself and talk about your background and where you started and where you got to where you are today, because I know you have a very interesting life that you've led. Well, yes, Andrew, it, it has been very different. I've had 20 different jobs in 12 different industries in 35 years. Graduated from the United States Naval Academy, was a nuclear submarine officer, as Iva said. I went to Harvard Business School and then joined the corporate world with British Petroleum, Disney, Hilton, then left that, had my own company, actually wrote a book, believe it or not, went from Disney to death care, became the CEO of a funeral home and cemetery. We brought Disney to the funeral industry. And we can talk about that later if you're interested. But then my most current role uh, for the past five years, I've been the president and CEO of eHome Counseling Group. We're a virtual mental health counseling company nationwide. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit more But in particular with COVID, we're very happy to be available for folks because there's tremendous need out there right now. Absolutely. And yes, to your point, given the mission of Coaster Challenge, we'll definitely be talking about e-home counseling, but more later. Uh, And of course, given your your history at Equity, Epcot, not to say that your military experience or managing and, and, and revolutionizing the, the funeral industry isn't interesting. You certainly may talk about those too, but certainly there's a key, couple of key aspects of your background that are very, very interesting to us. And, and just one quick question about one of those. So uh, my understanding is that you, again, were in charge of Epcot. So for a, how long a period, like until from what year to what year? That. Well, it was five and a half years. I started the day before 9-11 and wow. left in May of 2007. So gotcha. it was a very interesting five years. You know, we can talk a little bit about post 9-11, but it was tremendous growth period for Epcot. We actually opened Mission Space, Soren. Nemo and Friends. We extended the Food and Wine Festival, the Flower and Garden Festival. So in a time of just amazing growth. And typically in the theme parks, you open one new major attraction every five years. And we open three in five years. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And Soren, of course, it was basically the first real flying theater attraction. And, you know, there at Epcot, as well as, of course, at uh, Disney's California Adventure. And now, now it's in Shanghai and so forth. Thank God there's as well. And uh, great work you guys did on that with Dynamic Attractions. It's one of their great feats, uh, you know, along with others like Test Track, they worked on with you as well and years before. But yeah, that's a, Thorin's a great attraction. And Mission Space, I'm a true thrill seeker. You know, I'm a coaster enthusiast, as you know. And Mission Space is unusual. Uh, certainly at least the, uh, what is it? I think it's uh, Orange, I think is the yep. is the main one. It's not a typical Disney attraction. It's very forceful. I mean, it's, it's a base uh, centrifuge simulator for that they use for astronauts. Like, I love that attraction. I love what you guys did with your Disney magic and how it simulates liftoff and being in zero gravity and, and going to Mars and all that stuff. It's like, I love that ride so much. So. Well, interesting fact, after we opened Mission Space, NASA actually came to us and they said, can we use Mission Space to train astronauts. Wow. Because they said there's nowhere else on earth where you're going to get the same sensation as you would. It's so authentic. This is what our real astronauts face when they go into space. And this would be a great opportunity to demonstrate to them or show them what it's going to be like. So that pretty high accolade when NASA wants to use you for training for astronauts. That's fantastic. I actually want to add to that, that I read that you completed over 400 hours of in-costume training while you were at Epcot. Is that true? Well, actually, it was before Epcot. What happened was that Lee Cockrell was my boss. I switched from finance into operations 
operations. Lee said, I really want you to understand what cast members do, our frontline cast members do on a daily basis. And so he said, I was running something called operating labor management at the time. I ran all the labor management for 33,000 cast members at, at Walt Disney World. But he said, in addition to that job, I want you to go and do full shifts in a number of different locations. So as you said, I did 400 hours in 50 different locations. I, I hauled trash at the Magic Kingdom, made beds at the Grand Floridian, did nighttime maintenance on Tower of Terror, where it was actually on top of the Tower of Terror elevator at night, at midnight, and just an amazing assortment. I mean, it really opened my eyes to what was available and, and the different experiences. But Lee said, this is not, you don't go for an hour or two, you go for a full eight hour shift because I want you to know what it's like to make beds for eight hours. I want you to know what it's like to haul trash at the peak of summer in the Magic Kingdom. It really you know, showed me what the cast members go through day in and day out and was tremendous preparation for when I, I took over at Upcock. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I like to say I was the original undercover boss, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it definitely gave you a better perspective when you let in, went into your leadership role too of Epcot, what you had experienced. Well, the other interesting thing was that I actually made these connections with these frontline cast members and in particular ones at Epcot. And so they became my listening posts and they felt very comfortable coming to me and telling me what was going on. And, and I would ask them, I'd say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And, and they would give me great feedback and we'd make adjustments based on it. It was funny, some of my general managers, I think I annoyed them because, uh, because I often knew what was going on in their operation before they did because the <laughs> cast members would tell me. Now, since uh, you have been working in the theme park attraction, what's the one one attraction that has scared you the most and how has it impacted your life afterward? Well, I was a, a nuclear submarine officer, so there aren't a lot of things that really scare me, but I did have a very unique opportunity when we were opening Mission Space. The Imagineers asked me and said, would you like to go on Mission Space pretty much right after we have the centrifuge working? I said, Sure, why not? And and so I showed up one evening and literally they were taking they they have these dummies that are filled with sand and everything. They were taking them out of the capsule, all right? They put the ride engineers in first, okay? They were the first humans to ride in mission space. And then I was in the second group. And so it was kind of like they took the dummies off and put me in there in their place to see, you know, how I would do in there. But, um, but this was before mission space had all the the screens and the audio and and i recall vividly as i'm getting strapped into this thing and it's closing where the imagineers had told me yeah you you need to have a visual cue to keep from getting sick right this thing's oh. spinning and yeah. and and i get in there and i'm like there's no visual cue. <laughs> and then they start and fire the thing up and we're spinning around and everything. And I'm just kind of like, whoa, you know? And fortunately I did not get sick, but I can tell you when I got out of there, it was like, okay, you know, the, the world's spinning here. And it took me the whole weekend to, to recover afterwards because it's quite an experience if you don't have any audio or visual in there. So, so that was uh, probably one of my most interesting. Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, quite frankly a lot of people would get sick in that scenario where oh, all those forces yeah and, and and even when we did have the, the cues you know we had to create the green ride because mm -hmm. there were people who were extra sensitive and 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 they didn't want to get spun so so yeah, yeah. that would be me that's me there you go there you go <laughs> that's me my, my wife's in that category she's like green all the way and yep. i'm like hard <laughs> When did you open Mission Space, Brad? Approximately. Uh, let's see. It was um, two thousand. I don't want to say two thousand three. I can look up on my wall because I've got the invitation for the press event there. <laughs> but um, it was the first attraction uh, nationally marketed. Okay, which wow. so prior to that time we would market 
theme parks, you know, like Disney's California Adventure or whatever, we would market celebrations. But this was the first time we had actually marketed a, had a national marketing for a specific attraction. So that's wow. how unique it was. I remember I first wrote it, didn't know much about it. I, and that was great. I love going on a ride, but I don't know anything about it. And I was just, again, completely blown away. I was not expecting that in a good way. That, but just, you know, the synchronization of the screens and the audio and those incredible ride forces. I mean, there's nothing else like it out there. Absolutely. Tell me, Brad, what would you say? And, and maybe you've just told me about it <laughs> or told us about it. What would you say is your craziest moment on an attraction you've ever had? Well, that was probably it. <laughs> I, I want to talk about Soren for a minute because similar to Mission Space, I got to go on Soren when the ride system was completed, but they didn't have the, the huge IMAX video done. And okay. so I got in it and got lifted up in the air and they went through the whole music. So I kind of knew that part of it. But what was so amazing to me was that it didn't move much. Now, if you go on Soren now, you feel like the seat is swinging back and forth. It really doesn't move. I mean, it just a slight, right. and I was expecting it to go back and, and it didn't do it at all. And so that was very, very interesting to me, but great kind of story when we uh, were getting ready to open Soren, we were doing the soft opening. And, and so we had guests on it. So I get this call from the duty manager and he says, Brad, you got to get over Soren right away. And I'm like, what's going on? I said, when you get here, you'll see, but you've got to get here right away. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, something is gone wrong. Something's terrible. You know, we're getting ready for the press event and, and be delayed. All these things going through my mind. So I get there. I'm like, okay, what's, what's going on? Because I want you to meet someone. And I'm thinking, you called me, you know, <laughs> you know what is going on? El introduced me to this uh, older woman. And he said, Brad, I'd like you to meet our guest. She's 104 years old. Oh, oh wow. And just went on Soren. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. And so I go, well, ma'am, thank you for coming to Epcot today. And thank you for going on Soren. And what did you think? She goes, that's the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life. I'm thinking, you're 104 years old. I mean, you've had a lot of experiences in your life. And you're telling me that Soren was the most amazing experience. And, and she was just, she said that was so incredible. And I thought, wow, you know, when it comes from a, a lady who's 104, that's pretty high accolade. Yeah, that I mean, she's yes. obviously experienced so much in her life. And like you said, for that to be the most amazing. Now, since you were there with an opening, a lot of the major attractions during your time at Epcot, do you have a saying? and what goes on with opening the attractions when it comes to like what's soaring did you get a chance to choose Patrick Warburton as the voice of soaring or was that something that people higher up in the company chose I suggested they use me <laughs> uh, you know they for some reason they chose Patrick I don't know why you know but actually pretty much the Imagineers make those sorts of decisions you know there is some input from the parks and, and the operations but to a certain extent I mean we trust the Imagineers they they know what they're doing and and frankly you're so busy running the park you don't want to spend all the time in the design of the attractions and that. I will make the comment though with, and I'll go back to Mission Space for a minute. I had the chance prior to the attraction opening to go out to Glendale and, and actually they had done a mock-up capsule with the, the video and audio and everything in it. Now, obviously it didn't spin. It had everything else in it. I got to go in that and I came out and I said, this is a great experience, even without the spin. Then after we opened Mission Space and we found some people were sensitive to the spin, I actually said, what if we don't spin it? What if we ju just have the, you go into the capsule, which is the green ride. And so, and actually that point of view got embraced and they said, that's a pretty good idea. And, and we actually ran some focus groups to see, you know, what did people sense when they did the, with the spin, without the spin. And, and it was about 90% of the experience, you know, without the spin, people said they, and they were highly satisfied. And so that was a lot of the origin of going to the green and, and having part of the attraction spin, part of it not, you know, you do have certainly, and uh, certainly when it comes to kind of operational issues, throughput, you know, those sorts of discussions, absolutely are very involved, but when it comes to the theming and choosing the narrator, no, that that's pretty much done out of WDI. I thank you, by the way, for your green, <laughs> your green version of this. 
There are a lot of people that do. So Iva, when you come down with uh, David to, no, you're not doing, our, okay, well, maybe I'm David not, and I'll, David and I'll do orange. I will, I will stick to the green side. You can do the orange side. I'm not doing this. Now, I'm sure the next question is probably going to have an answer that's around Epcot, but what's your favorite attraction? Well, I would go, go back to Soren. And the reason for that, that Soren was the number one rated attraction at Walt Disney World for years, actually up until Avatar. And here's why. Many people don't realize this, but there is no, there are no words in Soren. Okay. It's all music, which is very unique if you think about attractions, right? Because usually there's some type of, you know, story and everything going on, but it's all music. And so it has universal appeal. You don't, if you don't speak English, it's not a problem. And in particular, we found our international guests really like Soren a lot because as I say, it, it didn't make any difference. There's no spoken words. And I just think the whole sensory part of it is is pretty amazing. And, you know, we talked before a little bit about taking Disney to the funeral industry. When I took over at Foundation Partners Group, that was the funeral home company. I said, we're going to create what's called the share life multi-sensory experience. In the funeral homes, we put in large screens, high definition projectors, and scent generators. So you could have your service, no matter where the funeral home was located, you could have your service at the beach, at the golf course, at the Eiffel Tower. And guess where I got the idea? Disney. From Soaring. Soaring. From Soaring, right, right, Soaring. right. 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 Big screens, sound or scent generators, high quality sound. It was really, you know, where you can take an idea from one completely different industry and apply it in another. But that, you know, we got so much feedback on that and it was amazing. One of my favorites was actually for veterans, you know, being a veteran. At the end of the veteran service, we had, if you're familiar with the the missing man formation. Yes. So we yes. would have the planes come across the big screen and then oh. veer off and we'd be playing taps. And Love it. It was just unbelievable. It That's just, awesome. It just really, I was very kind of proud of that. And, and the veterans that we were able to serve, it, it was a, a huge, just, you know, great experience. Uh, for their celebration of life. Well, as someone that is hugely patriotic, I have to say thank you for doing that. That's amazing. Love it. You know, and it got me to thinking once you were just talking about that, I haven't been to Disney, unfortunately, in almost 10 years, but the last time, I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) She's fixing that. She's fixing fixing that that. soon here. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The last time I was on Soaring, and I never thought of that, that besides after Patrick, you know, did his little intro, there isn't any talking. But the one thing I remember it's very calming and I think that's what makes the transition from when you were at Disney to the funeral industry was you took that perception of the calming part for the families of the ones that just lost loved ones and added that to their experience and I never thought put two and two together until you just told me that no it was so neat and it kind of released the creativity because We had people who, we had firefighters, for example, and we recreated the firehouse. So we took the firehouse, projected those, and it was just, you know, again, what you could do, it's kind of like having a blank slate that you could draw on. And that's, we were able to make very personalized. We had one uh, woman who passed away. They had, they took pictures of her lake house and the back of the lake house. This is crazy, but apparently every year she would do a community barbecue and invite everybody over to her house and all the rest. So we pumped in a smoke so. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. you know, again, it's very cool to, to be able to do things like that. But I, I know we're a little bit off track, but I, just to kind of show how you can apply uh, some of the creativity of the theme park world to other other areas. So while we're talking about attractions, Brad, so we talked about your favorite attraction. I've I've asked you about that. We don't like to talk about negativity much on this podcast, given our mission. Just for contrast, what would you say is your least favorite attraction? And it's going to be a Disney one. It could be at the the competitor there, you know, down the way on I-4. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, as I say, all, all the other theme parks besides Disney are wannabe theme parks. Uh, we <laughs> won't even talk about <laughs> that other one down the street. <laughs> I always have to come back to Epcot, so I'll put it in Epcot context. I thought Maelstrom was one of the weakest attractions. And the reason, and Maelstrom in Norway, the right. reason for that is that it kind of builds you up like you're going to have this great finale. And then you go and it just 
it's blah. It just, right. Uh, and, yeah. and, and particularly, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go like on Big Thunder Mountain or something, or I'm going to do, and then you go on Maelstrom. And, and so it was interesting. I got a call from the Orlando Sentinel, you know, long after I'd left Disney. And they said, we'd love to get your comments. Uh, the Disney fan boards are, are blowing up because they're talking about getting rid of Maelstrom and putting in Frozen, yep. all right, if you remember all that. And they said, you know, a lot of people, oh, you know, you can't get rid of Maelstrom, everything else. And they said, would you give a comment? And I said, are you kidding me? I mean, we need to get rid of Maelstrom and put in Frozen. That would be amazing because so many more people would experience it and love it, understand Norway better, which is the whole point of, of the different pavilions. So you're going to get a lot more traffic and a lot more kids who would never really go on Maelstrom or never really be exposed. And of course, it's now turned out to be one of the top attractions at Epcot, a great way to repurpose and rethink it. So I, I was actually very pleased to, to see that. And I'll, I'll probably get a lot of hate mail from the classical people who say I love Maelstrom, but, but hopefully I'll get a lot more letters from people who, who love Frozen. So. so I'm assuming you've experienced Soren around the world, right? As Absolutely. Well? Yep. Okay. What is, which one do you like better? over California or around the world? I like around the world for a couple of reasons. One, obviously it's it was it's newer, so it has upgraded quality and, and of the filming and everything. But the fact that you could do the different, like, you know, the Taj Mahal and, and do and the Mount Everest and the places they went, who, how else would you ever experience anything like that? Right. Right. Okay. I mean, we just got back from California. I love California, but you know, you can go in the orange groves of California. You can go in the forests and everything. I've never been to the Taj Mahal. I've never been on Mount Everest. And so I think the fact that you could do so much more and see so much more with soaring around the world is makes it that much better. I think they did a fabulous job. Not easy to get that those that video. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, that was not. It wasn't easy to get the, the California video either. Believe me. But but even now, you know, at least you're doing that in one state, and now you're going around the world to get all the different video and and the rest of it. So that's pretty pretty darn impressive. So Brad, you had just started your executive position at Epcot the day before 9-11. Can you tell us how you dealt with the challenges that occurred that day? What happened on 9-11? I was actually with other Disney executives in a media training program. We were getting ready for a big press event and they said, you know, we want to make sure you're ready for for the media. And that that morning uh, I was away from Epcot and we were all gathered together at Team Disney. They brought in an outside consultant from Washington, D.C. So we were getting ready to start and she had a cell phone and she was talking on her cell phone and she said, is there a TV in the room anywhere? We said, oh, yeah, yeah, we can turn on the TV. So we got to, we got to turn on the TV. One of her coworkers, if you recall, there was a plane headed toward D.C. and which ultimately hit the Pentagon. And so one of her coworkers had called her. And so we turned on the TV and we watched as the first tower got hit. And we were all just, you know, thinking that this must have been a horrible accident and everything else. And, and then, as you know, the, you know, the second tower got hit. And one of the executives, we were mainly theme park executives in there, said, you know, we need to go back and activate our emergency command centers. And so I, all of us said, yeah, that's a great idea. I hop in the car and I'm driving back to Epcot and I'm thinking, I have no idea where our emergency command center is. <laughs> I mean, this is my second day on the job. <laughs> and, you know, I went into our admin area and, and fortunately I had fabulous general managers that worked for me. And I asked one of them, we all went, I said, we need to go to the command center, kind of followed them, right? Let, let them lead the way. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it was in the back of Mexico. You know, our big concern on 9-11, the, the theme parks had been closed one time in the past. And that was the previous year for a hurricane that actually ended up veering off at the last minute. But they were closed. They they didn't actually open, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So in our situation, the theme park, it was open. We had 10,000 people in the park. Our concern was if we made like a general announcement that there's been a terrorist Mm. incident, 
would people, you know, rush towards the exits and get panic, and panic. panic and, and right. everything else. You know, we discussed it and this was a, all the theme parks together and the Walt Disney World Command Center coordinating. And we said, well, what we're going to do is use the best, I'll say weapon, but the best communication effect out there. And that was our cast members. Right. And so we... Right passed the word to, through the managers, through all the cast members and said, please inform the guests that Epcot is closing early today due to a national incident. Proceed to the exits and go back to your resorts and you'll find out more there. We were very concerned, frankly, that Cinderella's Castle or Spaceship Earth, that terrorists would run into those with an airplane. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember vividly walking out in the park from the command center and I watched a single engine plane and it was heading toward Epcot. And I thought, wait a minute, aren't all the planes supposed to be grounded right now? Right. Mm -hmm. And and I looked up, I saw the plane, I saw Spaceship Earth. I said, Lord Jesus, please do not allow this right. plane to hit Spaceship Earth. Just as I said that, the plane veered off and Oof. went in a different direction. Wow. Wow. Um, the, the kind of amazing thing, uh, the duty manager that day was a manager named Brian Britton. Brian Britton was a Naval Academy Harvard Business School graduate, and he was my duty manager. Now, what are the odds? You know, again, I like to say no coincidence <laughs> with God. What are the odds that he would be the duty manager? We were able to finish each other's sentences, right? right. Same training. Same right. training. Right. And so we both anticipated and he was my eyes and ears of the park. I was in the command center. But yeah, the uh, afterwards, you know, one of the managers in there said, you just seem so calm, kind of knew what you were doing. And she knew it was my second day on the job. How in the world did you do that? And I said, well, I ran hundreds of casualty drills on a nuclear submarine, kind of know how to do casualties and, and, and instance. But the most vivid memory I have from that, as I said, we asked the cast members to, to tell the guests to, to exit. Without being told, the cast members came out and lined the promenade. And as the guests were leaving, they waved and smiled. And I just thought these folks, and remember back at that time, people didn't have cell phones. Right, right. They didn't have televisions. We didn't, we, you know, there are no televisions in the park. And so people had no idea what had happened. Their last memory of that day before they came back to the cruel reality of this terrorist incident was those cast members waving and smiling. And you got to realize a lot of our cast members were from New York and DC, right? And mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, the areas that, that got hit. And yet they stayed, you know, because frankly, you would think they'd just run backstage and try to get in touch with their families or whatever, but but they stayed in their posts and they they made sure the guests were taken care of. And that's a lot of the Disney culture right there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I couldn't have been more proud of our cast members on that day. I can say we used to go through, I'm sure they still do drills and scenarios. And what if this happened? What if that happened? And so frankly, there would be no place in my mind safer than being at Disney in the event of any type of an, an incident, because they're so well-trained, you know, would be able to control it and and everything else. So, you know, as terrible as 9-11 was, you, any kind of incident like that you learn from. And we were flying blind. I mean, we had, I mean, this, everybody was. We really literally thought we were, you know, targeted the terrorists. It turns out that we really were not for a variety of reasons, um, but we didn't find that out until two years later. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, you couldn't know at so the you time. Have to assume, yeah. You have to assume, but, but yeah, I mean, Disney is so well prepared and safety is such a huge issue for them. I, I frankly, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. Now, Brad, you mentioned this briefly. So it sounds like your military training helped you a lot on September 11th. Oh, you'd say absolutely. That. I mean, it, it helps you in so many different ways, but particularly in a, a casualty situation like that. Yeah. So you, you are the second person that we have talked to on this podcast that is is a retired military, military veteran that working as a civilian dealt with a very interesting situation on September 11th. For our September 11th episode, if you will, that we released here in 2021, uh, which released on September 10th, the eve of the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks, we interviewed a, a good friend of ours and a friend of mine personally, and David and Iva, and a friend of the show. And he was in Manhattan on September 11th. And his story in terms of him getting out 
out of there safely, remaining calm, even having to help a family member that was right near ground zero when everything happened. It's it's a, really a story of inspiration of how we can remain calm and collected and be the best people that we can be. You know, it, it's, I'm so glad that Epcot had someone like you there with that experience and dealing with casualties and remaining calm in a scenario like that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Absolutely. But perhaps an even more difficult problem that you dealt with is not so much evacuating the park that day, but dealing with the repercussions of the attacks. I remember someone like myself who I normally, I've dealt with depression and anxiety in my life, but when I'm not in that state, which luckily normally I'm not, I'm a pretty fearless, not very anxious person. But I remember after 9-11, I didn't want to go out to eat. I didn't want to leave home for a week or two because I was like, well, who's going to get hit next? All of a sudden, the safest country in the world was not safe anymore. So it seemed the economy was hit. And But again, we're a resilient country. We survived. Disney was resilient. Disney has obviously flourished since then. But talk to me about how you dealt with those days, those weeks, those months as a brand new in charge of Epcot, you know, brand new employee there. How did you deal with that? How did you manage that? How did you keep Epcot afloat with it, with all those challenges? Well, the biggest issue we had, Andrew, of course, was the attendance impact. Overnight, essentially 20%, we lost 20% of our attendance because that was the international guests. Right. At the time, about 20% of our attendance was international. The, obviously, the planes just weren't flying. And so, and then we also had all the guests that were still there that couldn't get home. So there was a lot of effort on trying to get them home. And when your theme parks are a high fixed cost business, when you lose 20% of your attendance, that's just kind of like off the top. So it put a tremendous financial strain on. We essentially didn't need all the labor that we had because the labor was dependent upon the attendance. You know, across all the parks, resorts, we had to figure out a, a whole plan of how to reduce our costs and specifically how to reduce our labor costs because that's that's the biggest cost you have. We worked, you know, literally night and day, seven days a week to come up with a plan, which we ended up presenting to the president of Walt Disney World Resort at the time, who was Al Weiss. We told Al, we said, well, you know, we've looked at all the numbers, everything else, and, and basically we have to lay off. And I think the number was you know, 5,000 people. Al said, you guys have done an amazing job, very impressed with the detail and, and all we had figured out how to shuffle people around. But he said, I'm not going to lay off 5,000 people because our cast members live paycheck to paycheck. Right. And if we lay them off, we're essentially making them homeless. They're going to lose their homes. They're going to, their families are going to be impacted, everything else. He said, go back and figure out a plan where we don't lay off any full-time cast members. And we were just kind of like, you know, wow. kidding, right? I mean, <laughs> the, you can't do it. And he said, well, go back and try. We rethought everything and we said, okay, if we get rid of all of our part-time cast members, if we send all the college program, and obviously when we could, the international program folks back, if we reduce everybody's full-time hours, I forget the number again, by five hours, so they're doing 35 instead of 40 hours, then we can hit the targets that we need to hit. We went back to Al, presented it, and he accepted it. So we didn't end up laying off any full-time people. Now, we also then had to shift all these people around, which was right. no small feet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and training. and yeah. so that was yeah. huge and costumes, training, everything else. But it ended up, I mean, it was the right ethical decision to not lay these people off, but it was also a great business decision because had we laid all those folks off, we would have then had to rehire all of them and retrain all of them later. Right. 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 And you spoke about kind of loyalty earlier. The loyalty we got from our full-time cast members after that was incredible because, you know, they said Disney could have laid us off and they did. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that was huge. And people remembered that, you know, for a decade afterwards or more. It just kind of goes to show you can make the right choices that are right for people, but also right for business. But it was, it was, and it was challenging with morale with the cast members. I mean, the cast members would be kind of, and they were worried about their jobs and everything. And, and they'd be like, when are the guests coming back, Brad? And what do we do? And, and, and I said, you know what? You just love all over the guests that we have and give them a great experience so that they go back and they tell everybody else what an amazing experience they had at Walt Disney World. And if we do that, 
I assure you, the guests are going to come back. And they did. But one other kind of vivid memory I have, it was, I guess, a couple nights after 9-11. I was out in the park at night watching Illuminations. I think you probably know this, but at the end of Illuminations, that's the fireworks show for people yes. who may be familiar with that. Uh, for those of you who haven't been to Disney World in 10 years, uh, <coughs> but, um, but anyway, uh, uh, we won't mention any names or anything, but but anyway, so uh, so that's the, the fireworks show and it's an amazing show and everything else. But at the very end, Illuminations has beautiful music. The, the closing song is We Go On. Yeah, right. We Go yeah. On. That just impacted me. So, you know, it's like, okay, we've been attacked horribly. Our nation's been hit. You hear those kind of ringing vocals and lyrics and it says, and we go on. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. That gave me great, great strength at the time. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. That's, that's very powerful, Brad. And in terms of what you just said about we go on, in the days, weeks, and months after September 11th, Disney and the parks, Disney parks specifically, were a part of my own, uh, if you will, my own therapy of, you know, because in this crazy world, in the war on terror and all these the, the terrorist attacks that occurred after that, not here in the US, but the London attacks a few years later, you know, this is, this is a scary world at times. And having that bubble of Disney, you know, the wonderful music, the fireworks, the nighttime spectaculars, just all the great attractions. It, it's been a very important part of my life in the past 20 years since September 11th. And I really appreciate you sharing that that special illuminations moment. That's a really good point too. So I can reflect, re- relate to that. Yeah, we have talked, you know, numerous times during our podcast, how theme parks and therapy just go- coincide, especially with we have such natural disasters that go on like 9-11, I know the first thing that I did, my dad passed away four years ago due to ALS. And I had several memories of him going to, you know, like Cedar Point and Disney World and stuff. And the first place I went after my dad passed away was Cedar Point because I just wanted to have that positivity in my life versus the negativity. So I think that's what compels a lot of guests to go to the most magical place on earth. It would be Disneyland, Disney World, because they want to forget that negativity that is going on in the world and in their life. And what better place to do it than surrounded by characters you love and attractions that you love, cast members that show you that love in response too, because they love that you're there and spending the time with them. And you could be anywhere else, but you chose to be there at that time. One thing that um, Disney a lot of is, um, has a lot of counseling that deals with um, people's lives, you know, like it's a therapeutic counseling. I know recently you are part of the, you founded the e-home counseling. So can you talk to us what e-home counseling is and what role it plays with helping people with mental health issues? Sure, absolutely. Well, about five years ago, one of my good friends came to me and he said, how would you like to reinvent invent mental health care. I had reinvented the funeral industry. And so he's kind of like, well, let's pick another industry and do that. Uh, he was a pioneer in online college courses back in the 1990s. Now, think about it. We take that all for granted today, and particularly in COVID. But back in the 1990s, people were like, oh, you have to physically go to college and you have to sit at the professor's feet to learn. And, and he and a partner said, no, you know what? We can take college courses online. And, and so he was very successful in doing that. And then he came to me and said, he picked up an article about veteran suicides. And he said, you know, if we could take the counseling to the veteran and do it in confidentially, conveniently at their home, at their office, at school, wherever they are, and do it virtually, a lot more people will get, have access and get great care. And because there was still kind of the stigma with veterans about being seen going into a counselor's office. And obviously being a veteran, I was very passionate about what he said, but then also just this whole idea of being able to see a counselor in your own home and do it virtually. So we spent five years putting all the pieces together, getting the counselors, and we really focused, this was a Disney thing. I said, I only want to get the best people because at Disney, one of the things you learned is you're only as good as the people you hire as your employees. We put in place a very rigorous process to only get the A-level counselors 
uh, we did metrics because the question was, well, is what we're doing effective? And so we said, we're going to have everybody do an assessment when they come in and they're going to do assessments throughout their care. So we can actually measure the improvement. And also we can find out when people are done, get kicked out because in many cases, people say, well, I'm in therapy for years. So we wanted to see what was going to be effective. And we came up with other programs, basically kind of long story short, we put it all in place, national network, we're in with the major insurance companies, everything else. And then COVID hit. All the counseling went online, right? You couldn't physically go to, to a counselor, but it also had a huge impact on people's mental health. I mean, we were struggling prior to COVID, but what you saw with COVID, for example, prior to COVID, one in five adult Americans had a mental health condition. It's now doubled to two in five. 40% of Americans have a mental health condition. If you look at 18 to 25-year-olds, 25% have considered suicide. One quarter of, 25, of 18 to 30-year-olds have, have considered suicide. We've seen a huge spike in overdose deaths, uh, which was already at epidemic levels prior to COVID. Well, it's now 40 to 60% higher. And particularly we're seeing that in Florida right now. COVID has had a massive impact. You know, we look at the physical impact, sickness and death. You look at the economic impact of people who have lost jobs. But then the third impact is psychological. Fortunately, we're in a position to help people right now. Very excited. Again, as a veteran, we have a, a very strong partnership with Wounded Warrior Project, which is an amazing non oh, yeah. organization. Uh, we take care of thousands of veterans with them. Actually, recently, we're selected by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to take care of our elite Olympic and Paralympic athletes. And obviously that's been in the news with the Olympics and everything recently. And it's just wonderful to be able to help people right now when the, the need is so great and when we can do it with really great programs. I mean, when we came up with the company and everything else, we said, we wouldn't want this a company that, that we have no problem having our family members, friends, whoever needs it, use. We want it to be the highest quality out there, Disney levels of, of guest service, best counselors, the metrics, the best systems. That's something we put in place and, and you know, just have been glad to do it, particularly with COVID. That's impressive. So when did you, yes. I, you, I know you started five years ago, but when did you start, when did the counselors that you had signed up to be part of your service start doing their first appointments with e-home counseling? When did that start? Uh, Probably about, you know, two years after that. So three years ago. Okay. And so we've been doing it for a while now. But as I say, COVID really, it was fascinating. You know, Andrew, we'd, we'd go and we'd present. People would be like, that's amazing. What a great idea. Boy, you could help so many more people. And, and then we'd say, great. Do you want to pay for it? Oh, well, you know, and all the reasons, you know, we won't pay for it and, and insurance. And I won't go into all that. But right. uh, once COVID hit and people didn't have a choice, then it was absolutely. And then they found out how much better it really was. What we've seen with COVID is now two thirds of the mental health sessions that are being done out there today are being done virtually. Yeah. And, and people sure. have found it so much more convenient. I don't have to drive to a counselor's office, wait in their office, have my session, miss work. I can, and, and particularly we see it with young people. The worst thing for a, a teenager is to get picked up at school to be taken to a counseling session when they can go in their room, shut the door in their bedroom and do it on an iPad. Right. This, it, you're, you're eliminating the stigma and you're making things accessible, which are two huge things with mental health. As someone who's dealt with depression, anxiety, I've, you know, I've gone to have therapy over time here and there. And one thing I wonder about is, and I think we'll probably talk about a few things here, but with the pandemic, you mentioned this and there's various impacts of the pandemic. You mentioned economic, you know, here in Florida. So you know, Florida is the number one tourist destination in the U.S., and probably in the world, you know, certainly one of the top ones. A lot of the tourism got literally got shut down for a couple of months last year. And even when things started up again, come June and July, of course, no international guests like you're talking about, you know, with Epcot, but with Epcot and or with, with Disney after September 11th, that was for a few weeks. You know, here we're talking about, you know, well over a year, no international guests and even other people not wanting to fly here in the U.S. and not being afraid to fly and whatnot for a long time, long time, much worse than September 11th was. And because of that, you know, even still now, a year and a half plus after the, after the pandemic, after 
most people have been vaccinated, still more to do, more work to do there. You still have the theme parks are not at necessarily full capacity in all ways. They're getting there. Even the other industries, hotels and everything else, they're not seeing the international guests. They're not seeing the demand. So they're still having impacts where not everyone is back at work. And as someone who I have been in my, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, so I don't work in the theme park industry, but in the tech sectors where I work, I have been laid off a couple of times in my life. I've got a 20 plus year career. It happens. And when I've been laid off, you know, there've been programs where they, you know, they help you beef up your resume, your career counseling. Does e-home counseling, since so much of mental health, especially with the pandemic, is related to people losing their jobs or not being at work? Is there something where you guys have partnered, maybe could partner with companies, with large corporations, where when they have to furlough or lay someone off, where they, the company provides five free sessions of e-home counseling or something like that? Well, we've primarily focused on insurance, people who are covered by insurance. We also have a self-pay program, which is very reasonable for people to, to do it on their own. You know, most companies provide the, our services, either they're self-insured and they pay us directly or they do it through their you know, health plan insurance. But you, you raise an interesting point, Andrew. I mean, we've got to do so much better on providing mental health care for people, no matter what their yes. situation is thousands of studies that show it just, you know, it's just kind of like preventative health. If you take care of mental health sooner, earlier, then you prevent people from getting a lot worse later. And so, for example, this is an amazing statistic. Uh, 50% of people will develop a mental health condition. If they're going to develop a mental health condition, 50% will develop it before the age of 14 yeah. and 75% yeah. before 25. We've got to get people early. It's much easier to treat, say, mild or moderate anxiety or, or depression than it is to treat addiction, where the right, person right. progresses into self-medicating and then becomes addicted. And then you, you got a whole other thing. If we could get help to people sooner. We believe you have to have human counseling, but we have apps, for example, that support people. And you can actually go and do an assessment in the yeah. app. And if it shows that you would benefit from professional counseling, the, the app is called Mooditude. We've partnered with this company called Mooditude. You can do the assessment, find out completely confidentially if you have an issue. And if you do, It'll say, we recommend you have professional counseling. Would you like a, a, to be connected to a counselor? It will actually, with your permission, send your contact information to us and our client care team will reach out to you and match you up with a counselor. Great. So, yeah. so you know, we're trying to use technology and improve that experience, remove these barriers because people say, well, how do I know if I have a mental health condition? How do I know how severe it is? And if I do, how do I find a good counselor? And so basically we answer all those questions through an app and get them, you know, the care that they need. But we really, my hope, and, and one of the things with the, you know, Federal CARES Act funding and everything else, they are doing more to fund mental health care, which is very important, but there's still a lot more we could do. Yeah, the mental health, care and mental health, good, healthy self-care, not talking about self-medicating, but, you know, mindfulness and theme park therapy, something we talk about a lot on this podcast, those kinds of good self-care. These are very topics that I'm very passionate about. And, you know, when you look at the pandemic, as you mentioned, there's the physical impact, the literal people that are having, they, they get COVID, they have near-term impacts, long COVID, people dying from COVID. That's bad enough. That's, that's more than enough bad right there. But then you have their family members, you know, people that die or, or suffer from COVID and them having mental health issues. Then you have, as we talked about, the huge economic impact and something that unfortunately, I think a lot of people haven't really focused on in this country. People just wanted to have everything shut down for a long period on a large level, which I understand where that comes from, but you have to consider there are there is different ways that people can be impacted in terms of even them people dying from the pandemic. There's direct deaths from people getting sick. But if you were, if the economy were to be shut down for as long as some people were wanting on a national level, the number of suicides that would have occurred, and you know this better than anyone, Brad, would be huge. I mean, you're already talking about how you're seeing huge upticks, even with the limited shutdowns. So they have to have that balance of life going on and life finding a way 
with being careful. And that's why I'm a huge fan of when we have to using masks and getting vaccinated because we life has to go on. We're a capitalist economy. You know, we have to support each other. We all have jobs. Our jobs aren't just there just because they're there. They're to support a business, to provide services to people and, and so forth. And so a lot of people have not focused on that. And, and it, it's so important because so many people have lost their jobs. So, and then when you go beyond the pandemic, I personally believe that mental health, because we don't do a good job of it as much as we are a first world country that is rich in so many ways, not just financially, we should be doing a better job. And I'm assuming part of e-home counseling, Brad, is not just the, the counseling, it's the, it's the therapists are helping the patients to find things to do to might be mindful and be positive with their mental health, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, they, we have exercises. Once again, the Mooditude app has a number of different meditations, exercises, journaling, all sorts of things that, that you can do on it. It is a combination, but it's amazing. You know, we see dramatic improvement in many of our clients in six sessions. Nice. Uh, as I say, many people think, oh, I've got to be in therapy for years. No, if you get a quality counselor, we're able to zero in on what's going on with you and we can take care of you. Dramatic improvement. Frankly, I look at some people and it's like, you know, you spend a couple months within a weekly session and it will change your life and prevent you from going down a, a path of your point, negativity and despondency and despair you know, we can turn that all around with great counselors and help you to really, we like to talk about restoring lives and that's what we do. I'll share a quick story that one, one of our counselors shared with us. And so he was taking care of a warrior, uh, one of our, the wounded warrior clients. He had been taking care of him for a while. And the warrior said, can you excuse me for a minute? Uh, they were having their session. And so he said, oh yes, of course. And so he left the room, he came back in and brought his two young sons, put his sons on his lap. And he said, boys, I'd like you to meet Mr. Brannon. I know I haven't been the kind of dad I should have been for you, but Mr. Brannon is helping me to be the kind of dad I want to be for you. Wow. You know, this was a warrior struggling with PTSD and everything else. What it, the, it really impacted me when I heard that story, because you think about the generational impact. I mean, the fact that that this warrior is getting help, it's going to impact these boys as they grow up. And they're going to have their dad fully engaged there for them, you know, when otherwise he might not be. And so they're going to grow up in a very different environment. And then they're going to be able, you know, for their kids to provide that as well. Once again, I tell people, get help. Don't wait. And you can do it no stigma. You don't have to miss work. You can know exactly what's going on with you, get the quality of care you need, get a counselor who specializes in your needs, who you're comfortable with. I mean, there's so much we can do to help people right now. You know, for your listeners, I would just encourage you to, to really, if you are struggling right now, as many people are, you're not alone. Get help. Give us a call. We can help you. Thank you, Brad. And we'll be sure to, in the show notes for this episode, link to the appropriate websites and information that, you know, for, from you. And absolutely, that's, that's so important um, more than any other links that we provide in any other show notes is you know, something like this. So powerful. So Brad, the mission of Coaster Challenge, pretty much what you do and what we're doing, we kind of go hand in hand here is from our discussion off the air and now our listeners who, especially our dedicated ones that listen to every episode, they always know my final, my biggest question is, our mission is always to help those to be able to break their fears. Because I've learned, especially during this pandemic, that in, in my personal life, that fear is what's really caught, has been the root of almost everything that a person does in their life. Fear causes people to bully others. It causes people to hate. It causes divide, discrimination. We've been seeing a lot of that in this past year. In fact, I would say in the past five years, I've seen a lot of this been really accelerated. So our mission here is basically we're trying to help those be able to become fearless. And so what advice could you give out to those that are listening right now that are looking to make a serious change that are tired of just living their life in fear, what advice can you give them to be able to help them get the, the footsteps, to get the movement going, to get them on the track, to, to begin this 
process? Well, what I would say is all of us have fears and all of us process our fears differently, but you can build mental resilience and overcome your fears by getting professional counseling help that can train you in how to reframe your thinking so that the things that you fear actually become the things that make you strong. It's powerful and so true. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Well, I, I appreciate you summing things up in, in such a succinct wording. And, and again, it's so true and so well-spoken there, Brad. And you know, I, I'm so glad that we were able to have some of your your time today. You're obviously a very busy man. You've done a lot in your life. So you've got a lot ahead of you here, clearly. And certainly we want to give our listeners who are all over the world, not here in just the U.S., the opportunity to better their lives. That's really what our mission is ultimately about, is the power of positivity, fighting fear, fighting depression, anxiety, and other ailments and other challenges of life and living their best life for themselves and for their family and friends. So, you know, we ask this final question of all our guests, but I think this is probably the most important example of asking this question, Brad. Please share with our listeners, and again, we'll, we'll put these in our show notes as well. Where can people find you know, for example, you and e-home counseling, uh, whether it be a website, you know, perhaps you have podcasts, you mentioned a book, let's, let's hear about your book, you know, any other social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, how can people find out more? So our website is www.ehomegroup.com. I think you'll find if you go on there, a lot of great information, resources, but most importantly, how to contact us. You know, our phone numbers, we have contact forms, you can reach out to us. That's the best way to do it. Uh, we are obviously on Facebook, uh, eHome Counseling Group. We're on LinkedIn, same thing, eHome Counseling Group. So those are some of the, the key ways that, that you can reach us. But I would really direct people to go to the website and reach out that way. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Brad. We really appreciate your time. I had a fun time talking to you here, you know, some fun times in the beginning and getting into some more serious, but very important topics in the latter half of the interview. And David, you know, I'm sure he also appreciates very much your, uh, your advice and his, our mission, which is originally was his personal mission. You know, as you heard earlier, you know, before we started recording today, he is very passionate. We all are. But David is probably the most passionate about the mission of Coaster Challenge. You, what you are doing advances that mission like few other people out there. So thank you. Well, thank you all for what you're doing. And it's it's so kind of cool. I mean, obviously, I hadn't been exposed to it before, but it's so cool to hear what you're doing and really a very different approach, but a very powerful one. So I just appreciate you know being able to be on the show and look forward to to hearing it when it's it, it's done and. Then, you know, in the future, if you'd like me to come back, be happy to do it as well. Thank you. We, we might actually Thank call you. upon you. <laughs> I, I have tons of stories. So, uh, so but, but again, Thank thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And, and you guys have a great night. Thanks, you, you too, too, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Iva. And thank you, Brad. It was a really honor to have you on our show today and to help us end our first season, being the second second to our last final two, I would say, episodes to close out our first season. And what a way to do it. And I, it's just a really honor that you came on the podcast to help us celebrate our first season. And uh, yes, and I think it's just incredible stories of what you have shared with us here today. You know, guys, we've got another big VIP uh, executive going to be kicking off our season finale. It's going to be a very special episode next week. I hope you guys all tune in. But until then, Justin, how can they find us on social media? If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to see more from us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links in the description. Thank you, Justin. Yes, guys, make sure to hit the subscribe buttons on all our social media platforms. Make sure to visit our website at CoasterChallengeUSA.com. Make sure to click on the store button. We sell a lot of great merchandise out there and any pro anything you buy from our store, the proceeds go to donate to a local charity at the end of every year for the holiday seasons. Uh, we really appreciate your love and support there. Our team has worked really hard this season and we have got an incredible second season going to be coming up starting in April. But you know guys, make sure you tune in next week because we've got a very, very special VIP in the house, very special executive on board to come kick off our season finale. But until then, this is David Cantu, and we will see you next week right here on Coaster Challenge.